Today we have the awesome pleasure of being joined by Zakua Ventures team members Margarita and Vivin who are going to help us walk through the entire construction technology industry from bricklaying robots to printing construction, even some off-site LiDAR, all kinds of technologies. I've really only seen 3D printed construction companies, so we're going to be uh, entering a whole new world of construction with the Zakua team today. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me, and I'm really excited to talk about all the awesome companies you guys have been investing in and looking at. Great to be here, Jared. Thanks for having us. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, could you please introduce a little bit about Zakua Ventures? Uh, sure. Uh, Zakua is an early-stage construction tech-focused venture capital fund. Uh, we are a global fund. We deploy capital all across the world. We have 14 members who are located across the different geographies. I'm in San Francisco, but our partner in Madrid and Singapore, and Monica here is, in Sing uh, is based in Mexico City. And we come from the construction space, so we've worked in corporates and construction over a period of time. Uh, have extensive experience in investing in the space, and we wanted to set up something that helps entrepreneurs in the space uh, to develop and grow and so on and so forth. And we're backed by some of the largest corporates in the built environment. Margarita, you're in Mexico City. How Your specialty is in uh, engineering, if I'm correct? No, I have a different background. Uh, Vivian is the, the, the engineer here of, of us, so I'm, I'm a lawyer by, by training. You guys published an awesome report on a lot of the companies you think are notable in the construction technology space. We're about to go over a lot of those companies. How did you go about creating the different sections and what was your strategy? Yeah, so there, um, basically what we try to, to, um, to show is where we are in terms of construction robotics. And, and where are the trends that are, that are uh, accelerating the adoption of, of robotics? Um, and for that, um, I think it would be good to understand that, that um, construction, even though it's, it's the largest component of the world's GDP, it has remained laggard in terms of innovation and, and automation. But we have seen, like in the last years, uh, some tailwinds accelerating this process. And, and we have identified, so to say, like four uh, big trends um, first first and most most urgent one it would be like the global uh, shortage labor shortage so with um, workers aging and closer to to retirement and young people not being so attracted to, to the industry so we have seen a, a lack of, of skilled workers in the in the industry also um, there has been a big push on on, sustainal, on sustainability so construction and more precisely cement production is um, is responsible for seven percent of global uh, co2 emissions so um, there the, there has been a change in the mentality and there has been a, a, a regulations trying to improve the way of traditionally that the we've traditionally um, constructed then also um, another trend that we've seen has has accelerated or has improved the the adoption of of robotics is that they have now new capabilities. Let's say they are smarter and, 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 and cheaper. So now they, they have uh, computer vision, uh, machine learning. So they have they've improved their, the, their capabilities and this has broadened the use cases where they can be applied. Um, so making them, so to say, smarter and more, more sophisticated. And then finally also uh, a new business model or payment model. So initially, like back in the days uh, for, um, yeah, for any for any development of robotics, you would have a, a, a high initial uh, investment, and now this has changed, 
you can you can change from an OPEX from a capex model to an OPEX model, so more a recurring um, fee that you pay for the usage of the of the robots. So and um, this has also uh, broadened the capabilities and the opportunities to adopt uh, the robotics. So these are generally like the four big trends that we see um, that have made possible for more robots to be to be in the in the job site or for more development of, of robotics. Um, I don't know, Vivi, if you want to complement something. Complement something. I, I think you covered quite it quite well. Uh, the overarching feeling is that this this segment did not really exist even five years back, but now there are more than seventy companies which are doing construction robotics. So we are still in the early stages of adoption in this space. And as things improve, as the costs come down, as labor shortage becomes more extreme, we only expect this to pick up more dramatically. And so coming coming back to, to the question how you we, we split it this is like we see two two big trends. Uh, one is like literally um, robots in the job site, so robots doing some of the uh, more repetitive and, and more uh, labor labor demanding uh, tasks. This being done by robots and we can we can go through the through the specific use cases that, that we've identified. And another one is a shift from the job site to factories. So in order to have more more um, like more controlled environment, uh, you have uh, that all or part of the construction is being shifted to factories to the offsite, and this is where three D printing or prefab uh, comes in. That's interesting. Most three D printed homes in the United States are printed on site, actually. There's 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 both. There are solutions that that um, print directly on site and has some some challenges with most mostly. Uh, goes on precisely on the on the different environment that you have so to make the right mix to uh, to be able to adapt to the to the changing environment and some other solutions like uh, icon or, or like uh, some others that that go on the on the job site yeah I think that labor shortage is really a problem a lot of people feel and it's a uh, a lot of people are starting to look for a technological solution since it's provided help in so many other industries yet in construction things are changing much slower but like you mentioned, five years ago, it was nothing. And now we have all these companies starting to influence. Exactly. Cool. So are you guys ready to jump into some of them? Uh, let's do it. Here's the map of all the startups Zakua Ventures and I will talk about today. It's non-exhaustive. And of course, there are other interesting companies in the construction automation field. But when Zakua Ventures published this list, I wanted to get them on the podcast to talk about all of these companies because many of them I haven't heard of yet. On this podcast, we, of course, mostly talk about 3D printed construction, but there are all kinds of automation that are exciting. You mentioned we'd start with the on-site work. Uh, yeah, Let, let's start with on-site robotics, and we can start with bricklaying, and then Margaret can take it, and then we can all switch from there. Okay, so bricklaying. Yeah. What is bricklaying? So basically, this is uh, bricklaying robots are the ones that perform like either uh, both the picking of the bricks and putting mortar on them and laying the bricks uh, to to uh, build either roads, walls, or whatever, or um, just doing one of those, like just picking the bricks and therefore helping the mason uh, perform its work. So we have here different startups. So one is, uh, for example, fast brick robotics. Uh, fast brick robotics is, is, is like uh, a truck that has uh, the an arm that has the ability to pick the the, the bricks, put the mortar and and do it uh, and, and do it for a wall. 
Similarly with, um, with general systems, uh, they are able to, to this is semi-automatic, so they put the bricks and you have, uh, they collaborate with the mason to, to put the, the, the mason and also uh, construction robotics. Um, they were again, so the, the robot is put in the scaffold and, and you fill the robot with, with the bricks and with the, with the concrete and uh, the robot is able to, to do both, uh, take the brick, put the mass on and, and lay it uh, to form a wall. I know Fastbrick Robotics has a couple homes built in Australia. They've also done commercial projects. Have the other companies built buildings yet? So uh, are, both of them are so construction robotics as well as general systems. They've been deployed in sites. Construction robotics has been around for almost 10 years now. Uh, so it's been on many, many projects and They've, they don't build full buildings, but they build walls, for example, and they mm -hmm. build up, uh, they with aspects of a building and they've been deployed on many, many projects. Right? As a subcontractor. Uh, as a subcontractor, uh, uh, not even a subcontractor, as a, a unit of a subcontractor. They are service okay. provider to a subcontractor. Uh, General Systems is still early. They have a few projects. Yeah. Uh, they have deployed in a few locations, but I wouldn't say they are, they are as mature as construction robotics or fast-pick robotics. Fastbrick seems to be taking a holistic approach and they want to really change the whole construction process. Yes, that is correct. That's different than the other two? Uh, it's slightly different from the other two. I'll also let Marga comment on it. Uh, Fastbrick is, uh, they're trying to take bigger portions of the project because it's much more mechanized. It's just mm -hmm. rolling out uh, your brick walls and layers and stuff. It's changing the process entirely. The other two are augmenting existing processes. Construction robotics is, has two different equipment, one which lays the bricks, one which helps you lift the bricks, uh, and it's augmenting human capacity in terms of doing it. Whereas general systems, it actually changes the types of masonry you can lay. It doesn't, uh, rather than laying bricks, it just lays masonry blocks, which are much larger and more difficult to manure and so on. Uh, so they actually augment capacity in terms of laying larger structures. Mm -hmm. Great. And so which section should we move on to next? Flooring. Okay. Yeah. So um, flooring is, is basically we have uh, like there are two, two different type of startups. Like one is just finishing like the... the the, um, the, 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 how you say, the, the last finishing of, of the floors. And then another one is on insulation. Like easy flooring robotics is like literally finishing the floors, as, as it says. Uh, and, and, um, QBOT is the one on insulation. So helping or improving the insulation of the floors. Yeah, it's interesting with so many different parts of the job being automated, uh, how far you have to wonder how far till the whole thing is automated. <laughs> Until you have a, a full uh, building being built by robots, I think it's still very early. <laughs> yeah, they get closer and closer uh, all the time. But uh, it, it, yeah, it happens part... in Japan, and and actually, Japan some sites are very automated. So, but the thing with uh, having all of them work together is robot-to-robot -robot communication becomes very very important. Right now, most of these startups are still solving the first level problem on how to do the application. Uh, but robot-to-robot -robot communication becomes much more important as you go to the second level of saying, how do you deploy multiple job, uh, robots on job sites at one time? Uh, I don't think we've reached that level of maturity right mm -hmm. now, but eventually uh, we will get there. Yeah, right now, 
the teams doing multiple types of automation are using one robot with different tools or something along those lines instead but, of robots or at the same time, like you said. Exactly. And also, usually these are different rates, right? The construction on site is a little complicated due to different people performing different tasks. And it's not, the ownership is kind of fragmented. So it's not like one person is doing the flooring and the other person mm -hmm. is doing the drywall. And uh, it, they don't really have the same uh, timelines and objectives at all points in time. And therefore, coordination is even more complicated because most of this will have to come from the general contractor if, if they are to coordinate really well. And that's why it hasn't really been done so far. But eventually, these problems will start to be solved. So now, as we move on to drywall, uh, what are the, what's going on there? Uh, so I would probably combine two, three of these segments together, drywall, plastering, and painting. They're all similar uh, archetypes. And when okay. we talk about drywall, uh, there are a few different things we need to think about. Say, drywall finishing is, is, is a nasty kind of application because one, it is backbreaking, it's very repetitive. Uh, two, when you do the drywall finishing, the chemicals which are there are injurious to health. There's usually silica dust included in uh, drywall as well. So this is, these are the kind of tasks that nobody wants to do, right? It has to be done, but nobody really wants to do it. And if you have a robot which can do this, there one, it's repetitive, so it can be automated much more easily. Uh, two, you can actually change the workflows when you look at drywall finishing. Uh, typically, if you want a very fine finish in drywall as level four or level five finish, you'll have to apply two coats of uh, fin finishing a paint to into it, right? And a, dry, a robot can actually do it in one coating. Uh, that's because you have the force control to be able to get, to get to a certain level of finish, which humans struggle to get to. And this change in workflow actually expedites the way in which you can do the application. You can do it much faster than humans can do. So safer, it's faster, and it's more efficient. And that's why dry, drywall finishing is starting to take off from a robotic application. Similarly, when you look at plastering or painting, right? Plastering on painting is tedious, especially if you're looking at high ceilings, especially if you're looking at moving from one place to other. Uh, it becomes a dangerous uh, activity because people have to climb on ladders, do the painting, come down, move the ladders, climb again, and people try to take shortcuts. They try to lean on ladders from one direction. So there's a lot of fall incidents which happen during painting and so on. That, and that's why painting robots are so effective. And the plastering is the same concept. There are multiple things that you'd look at when you're developing a robot in the space. You have to look at the mobility platforms. You'll have to look at injection mechanisms. You'll have to look at uh, exact uh, force control when it comes to drywall finishing, but also the consistency of finish when it comes to painting and stuff. So lots of different applications that you need to think about, but there's immense value that can be unlocked by having robots in this space. Well, there's a bunch of companies in this sector. I think the best way we can give the audience an idea of them is if you could try to describe each one's robot mm -hmm. in a sentence or two, if that's possible. So Canvas, for example, is a drywall finishing robot. So it's a mobile robotic platform, uh, which is uh, finishing the drywall by applying uh, plaster, not plaster, the drywall paint, and then finishing it off. Okibo, on the other hand, right now is finishing or uh, focusing more on painting. So it has a, it's a fully full stack built uh, robot which is able apply to able to apply paint and it can do it both on uh, 
roofs as well as on walls, right? If I look at PaintJet, PaintJet is for industrial painting applications where it can go into high uh, high elevations. What about Nextera? Nextera is a is one which actually uh, more is more advanced from painting application perspective. So most of these outside of uh, outside of canvas and Okibo are in the painting plastering kind of space, right? So less plastering, more painting, because painting is so relevant as an application. Most of these are building mobile platforms for painting. So what's the difference between NextEra and PaintJet? Uh, PaintJet is less automated compared to NextEra. Uh, so PaintJet is mostly a mobile crane which goes goes up, and the painting is not fully automated yet. It's, it's semi-automated. NextEra is much more automated, uh, and it's a more, more modern architecture from a painting perspective. And I see ABB is to the left of PrintJet. The one in the blue box to the left of that, what, I can't read that logo. I think it's HouseBot. Uh, I'll let you, I can't read it either. So I'll need to magnify it and see what it's it does. Give me a... Is it? Yeah. So let me, give me a second. Transformer, okay. it's Transformer. Tra so yeah. ABB here more is a industrial robot or more than uh, more than being an on-site physical robot, they don't yeah, really the, have Yeah, my channel subscribers are very familiar with the ABB robotic arm and KUKA robotic arms that are used in printing all the time. So we can skip that one. And, and the other one is? Uh, the other one is Transformer, which is also a, a, a paint provider. It's not super differentiated compared to others. Uh, one we missed is finished robotics. It's very similar to uh, Okibo or similar stacks, uh, again, Painting robot just has much more elevation with which it can print as well. And what about R23? Uh, AR23 is a low cost solution from a robotic perspective. What they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that painting robots can also be uh, catering to lower cost settings. Uh, so their components are, are frame dependent. They're frame based components. And it's it's a probably a robot which costs a third of what existing painting robots which exist. And that is the major source of differentiation that they have. They still have to fine tune it, uh, but they could expand the horizon in which uh, where painting robots could be applied. Very cool. Uh, what about housebots? Uh, housebots is again, a very standard uh, painting robot. Uh, it's similar in architecture to uh, your, uh, not AR23, more like finished robot. Uh, finished robots, Okibo and uh, Housebot are similar in architecture uh, and more for indoor painting uh, rather than external painting. So that's also a differentiation between PaintJet. PaintJet is more external for warehouses and stuff like that. And the far right side of uh, painting, we have the blue, another blue logo. So the blue logo, let, let me. Pink. Space Robotics. Space Robotics. Uh, uh, so again, uh, this segment is slightly different. Base Robotics comes from India. Uh, so they're trying to capture the Indian painting market. So the use case is similar. They're also starting with uh, high-level high uh, painting and so on and so forth. Uh, tech stack is, they, are, they have a good tech stack actually. They are uh, developing a more efficient painting mechanism, but the application is the same. And then the plastering company, which there's only one of, TUP. So TUP is a, a German plaster. So the difference between them and the painting robot is plaster from a flowing mechanism 
is much thicker. It doesn't mm -hmm. flow as, as smoothly as painting. So the mechanism of plastering, the mechanism of making sure this stays on. So they just have to make sure that uh, the layering is much more efficient when it comes to plastering robots and the flow mechanism is altered. And that's why they are a little bit different from paint, uh, so painting robots because that the viscosity is significantly higher when it comes to plastering robots. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they're quite a bit different. It seems like you'd almost need a different kind of robot for every different kind of finish. Yes, you're correct. At the current but, stage, but who knows, maybe one of these companies comes up with something clever. But it's a, 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 a TUP still has one form factor in which they do the plastering process and so on. It's not multiple robots for multiple surfaces. So the plastering that they do is still for flat surfaces, not for curved surfaces and so on. So robots today still have limitations on what they can be used for. Uh, so uh, right now they're still, uh, I would say they are in between being mature and very early, right? So they, they have traction, they are deployed on sites and so on and so forth. Uh, but it's not like they can do all the applications. Okay. Uh, the next one with on-site, if we go down, is layout. Uh... Yeah, so a layout is another interesting application uh, because when you talk about layout, it is measuring takes about 30% of the time of any task that you're doing. Uh, so because what you have to do is every time you are either drilling or you are doing any kind of uh, any activity, it needs you to measure, it needs you to mark, and then typically people would be using tape measures, or then you'd people be using tape control stations, uh, and usually it's a two-people job. And because it's a two-people job and it's very manual, it takes a lot of time. What layout robots are trying to do is they are trying to ingest the plans, and then after ingesting the plans, they are automatically laying this out on the job site. And this can be done at night when nobody's there on the uh, job site. And because this can be done at night, uh, it uh, fast tracks projects significantly because what would have taken you half a day is now already ready by the time you come on job set. And that's why it becomes very interesting. And it's being tried to solve in various different form factors. So I'll take a couple of examples. Dusty, for example, uh, uses a laser pointer in terms of uh, doing the marking. So based on the laser pointer, it can go in different directions, do the marking, and it can get the job done on most uh, flat surfaces, right? Uh, it doesn't do walls, it doesn't do roofs, it just does the floors, but that's what Dusty does. If you look at Rugged, it's a slightly different technology. They don't use laser pointers. Uh, they use with their own uh, slam-based positioning techniques to do the layout. Uh, again, very effective. Uh, they have the same similar results to what Dusty is doing, but a different, different technology stack. Well, sorry, layout guys, but I don't really consider you a building activity. So, uh, <laughs> is there another one in this section you think is really important to mention? Uh, I would mention Civ Robotics because they are slightly different. Uh, Civ Robotics doesn't do it on indoors; it does, does taking on large uh, solar projects or large infrastructure projects. So, staking is a very manual activity, and this just drops markers where uh, the stakes need to go in and does it at a in a very precise manner. Uh, so this is more like outdoor marking and stuff, indoor marking. Very nice. Now we get into two very cool sections, fastening and drilling. So uh, fastening, I probably will spend a little bit of time uh, because we have a portfolio company called Race Robotics in the space, and we are very, very excited about that. Great. Uh, so fastening is the most prevalent application in job sets. 
anything that you do, you'll need to do fastening because whether you're anchoring stuff, you're building support, whether it's a rebar or anything that you're doing requires an element of fastening. Uh, there's some critical applications like curtain wall facade where fastening is actually quite dangerous to do uh, because of installation of anchor channels. What happens is if you're installing anchor channels, this is right on the edge. This is where the curtain walls and the uh, glass panes come in. And most of the time when you're doing the installation, the people are actually hanging off the ledge. So the uh, safety risks are significantly high. So that, that's where uh, race Robotics comes in. It does the automatic installation of these anchor channels. And the way it does this is by first identifying where the holes need to be drilled. So it has a total station installed. It can precisely position. And while it's positioning, it can use its end effectors and do the drilling. And then uh, it also has the ability to change the end effectors and then do the bolting and install the entire anchor channel. And this actually, one is safer, but it's 3x faster than humans today. And it will probably be 6x faster by the time they make it fully efficient. Uh, so, And also it's a mobile platform, right? So eventually you can put scanning systems on it. Eventually it can do a fastening in other dimensions, in walls and ceilings and every, everywhere else. And that's why this is so uh, interesting. And Marga, if you want to comment on that as well. No, if you want, I'm just also commenting on, on, on the team and like why, so not just from a, from a technological perspective and the tech stack was, was uh, interesting, but also from just a pure founding team, right? So we, um, we have here, uh, Gary, who's a computer science engineer, um, and Conley, who, who's a structure engineer. So they both understand very well the, 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 the engineering uh, behind, but also have a good understanding of, of the business and the and the industry itself so so uh, they've worked um, uh, in construction so understand the dynamics which is also very important to 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 when you're going to deploy the robots right so you need to understand how the different stakeholders interact in order to be able to 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 uh, express and and better understand how to plug and play your solution yeah i like that a lot i think the best companies in the world are run by uh, engineering leaders I agree, and, and especially complementing engineering leaders. So I think understanding the technical aspect and understanding the workflow aspect, if you are able to understand both together, then those are the best teams because you you truly understand the solution and are building a technical solution which is trying to solve that. Yeah, you really see a lot of, and maybe we can talk about this afterwards in a debrief or something, but a lot of non-technical founders that are responsible for the business side, but don't really understand the technological side, which gets really messy. Uh, yes, you need a good link between the two. And ideally, uh, we do like technical founders. Uh, we do uh, really like founders who know the technical aspects of it as well. Well, Ray sounds like a fascinating company. What about Hilti and Baobot? So Hilti and Bobot are doing a sub-segment of the fastening process, which is the drilling process, right? So drilling is fairly uh, complicated, and what Hilti is doing specifically is overhead drilling, and Bobot is also building a platform similar to that. So overhead drilling is uh, kind of uh, time-consuming, exactly because some of the reasons I mentioned for painting, because one, it, it has tall ceilings, you have to go on ladders, you have to drill, and you're drilling, uh, there's stuff falling on your face, and you have to be accurate and you have to keep moving and stuff like that. Uh, and it's stressful because you have to have the tool in your hands and it, it has a lot of upper body strain when you're drilling overhead. 
Uh, so Hilti is built uh, the JBot, which basically uh, positions itself, takes the BIM drawings, and then goes and drills sequentially. And it also is faster than human applications right now, especially for sequential operations. Uh, so it's it's a very interesting robot. They took quite a time, quite some time to develop it, but I think it's a, a very robust platform which has been developed by them. And from my perspective, the Baobot machine looks very similar, box with an arm that drills. Exactly, you are correct. You're correct. It, it looks similar, uh, similar application, a little bit earlier in the journey than Hilti. Hilti has just been doing it longer, uh, but Baobot is a similar platform. And Fisher generally uh, uh, recently acquired them as well. So are those machines that are going to take off in job sites? I've never seen one in the wild yet. So they are in the wild, but usually they're on uh, very specific projects. For example, uh, there was a Daimler project in Europe where they're building large garages. They had like 1,500 holes to be drilled. Very effective to have a robot which is just running and doing this. It's not as effective if it has to go room by room and mm -hmm. drill five holes here and there. Uh, so if you have, if you have hundreds of holes to be drilled, then this is super effective. So it, it's been deployed in Europe. It's been deployed in a few sites in the uh, US. I think they're also thinking of expanding to some parts in Asia and stuff. Uh, but I, there are quite a few of these robots out there right now. Yeah, it'd be fascinating. You never seem to get like a side-by-side, -side, the Jaibot next to the Baobot. One of them's gotta be better, at least in uh, something. So that I will not comment on because uh, I haven't done the side-by-side -side test. I have my views on it, uh, but I'd rather not share. Fair enough. Okay. So if we move on to the next section in on-site, it's automation of autonomous vehicles. And there's some really interesting companies here, I think. But it's, so yes, uh, this has this category has a lot of different uh, things there. There's crane automation in there. There's automation of heavy equipment there. Uh, there's autonomy layers there, which is all built in. So if autonomy is a concept everybody's familiar with because we looked at, we heard of autonomous cars for so long. Uh, so that technology is getting transferred to aspects of construction. So when we talk about autonomy in construction, you can use it for three or four different use cases. Uh, the first and most obvious use case is the large equipment. You have the shovels and you have the excavators and you have the forklifts and so on. So automation of those vehicles. Uh, you also have auto automation of robots inside the buildings, like these fastening robots and uh, drilling robots and so on and so forth. And then you have certain companies like Polymath, uh, which is there. So what Polymath is doing is, it's telling these robotics companies that, hey, do you build the final integration with the machine? We will build the autonomy layer, which will help you navigate in any environment and help you go anywhere so that you don't have to spend tons of resources in terms of, of making the autonomy algorithms very good. Uh, it, it's just, it just in advancing the robotic tech stack uh, further so that anybody can build a robot. Just like your mobility platforms or your ABB builds your arms and stuff. So now people don't have to build everything from scratch. They're just integrators rather than having to put every part of it together. So let me take a few examples. Yeah, what's, so safe, what Safe AI is doing is it's looking at heavy equipment, mostly in the mining segment, a little bit in the construction segment, where it's taking excavators and cranes and making them fully autonomous. The founder comes from, uh, he, he's been at Caterpillar, he's been at Apple, he's been at Ford, and he's been working in the autonomy teams, and he's try, trying to create a full stack uh, system in which you can make them completely autonomous. 
aim is almost exactly the same. Uh, very similar concept, very similar. Uh, so the difference is the algorithms between the autonomy layer that they're building. Built robotics is a little bit different in the sense that when they first started off, they were not fully autonomous. Uh, they had people in the back end trying to uh, monitor the vehicles when they're going from place to place. Uh, so they needed a little bit of a human component to it, but they are also trying to add much more autonomy to that. But then I come to some of the other ones like uh, UltraVis and TLU and stuff. UltraVis is more about uh, crane automation. It's not vehicle automation. It's about how you can take large cranes and add, sense and add sensors to them to basically automate them so that they don't need a human operators because crane operators are very, very expensive now. Expensive now, And cranes themselves, if they're not being utilized, then that's super expensive for a job site. So this is about sensorizing them and automating the tasks of cranes. And Telio is also something similar. In Insight is, again, a crane analytics and crane software. Uh, so I would categorize these as two segments. Uh, there's crane-related automation and there is vehicle-related automation. So this is the two major segments within autonomy that I would say exists. Very cool. I imagine if Tesla comes out with some kind of driving artificial intelligence, all of these companies would immensely benefit from it. Uh, it would. And that uh, so that is what uh, Polymath is trying to do. It's trying to be something like Tesla, where it is providing a tech stack, uh, where it's saying, okay, we'll provide the software layer for you to go and build autonomy applications because there's also a lot of work in customizing into specific models. When I say excavator, not every excavator is the same. Caterpillar is different from Komatsu is different from Terex and so on and so forth. And even in them, the specific vehicle types are different. So automation requires understanding form factors, their movement patterns, uh, the capacity and all of that. And that's why it's not a straightforward problem to solve. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be competing with Tesla. Uh, yeah, neither would I. The uh, next one up is the welding robots. The uh... yeah, uh, and uh, welding. Uh, I would say welding and rebar got uh, not same, but in the similar kind of spectrum. So I'll yeah, I'll take rob robotics. Yeah, I'll, I'll take I'll take both of them same time. So welding robotics uh, in manufacturing, this is fairly standard because welding is uh, is a expensive operation an operation which uh, requires very skilled operators and stuff and that's why doing it through robots is very helpful in construction this has been a little bit more complicated because welding also involves fire and heating elements and so on so safety uh, requirements are a little bit higher so we haven't seen too many this path robotics which is still in manufacturing it's does some construction but it's mostly in mostly in manufacturing and here, what they're doing is they it's a standard robot, but the difference is they're able to handle heat and the heating elements, and they have to combine force control, understanding of welding joints, understanding of the flow that's happening, and then perform operations because uh, the criticality of the weld is very, very important. And that's why uh, these are quite expensive robots uh, when they build welding robots. Reaper, on the other, uh, other hand, it's slightly different. Today, a, a lot of what they do with rebar is build rebar cages. So here it is bending of rebar, uh, tying of rebar. And, and this can be done both on-site as well as off-site. Uh, so advanced construction robotics, 
and SkyMove do it on on-site. So what they do is they take rebar, they bend it on-site, they place it, and it's ready to go during the concrete pouring process. The toggle on the toggle and rebar tech, on the other hand, they actually build ready-made rebar cages in factories and they ship them to site. So slightly different kind of operations, but both are trying to or make this process more efficient because humans doing it is backbreaking. You have to keep bending down, you have to put a lot of effort and do the rebar tying again and again. And back injuries are the highest uh, reason for labor premiums or labor insurance uh, in the industry. And that is not good for humans, not good from a cost perspective. So automating it is very, very helpful. Yeah, it seems like it would be easier to ship rebar before it's been bent and tied. Uh, it is. Uh, it is easier. And that's why on-site is, uh, is probably preferable because you don't have to change workflows. Uh, but if you ship and tie it and you have designed for it, if you design for it, then it could still work uh, because mm-hmm. it, it takes more space. If you send cages versus you send rebars, it obviously takes more space but you're saving significantly on labor cost because then it becomes plug and play. You don't have to do the installation on site. So it's just two different models uh, based on how it's designed. You can find efficiency in both cases. Okay, and now on to scaffolding. Every building that needs outdoor work, multi-floors up needs scaffolding. So how can you automate that? So Kawatha, what they do is like they, they kind of put an elevator in the scaffold um, for you to so for 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 this uh, activity to be to be uh, safer because you're dealing with two things you're dealing with heights and you're dealing with also heavy materials so um, basically you you plug this elevator into the scaffold and and therefore you're able to uh, yeah to move the material on the, uh, throughout the different floors. Um, and they just raised a uh, 10 minute series A. So, so they're back to aim robotics. Is that a different company than the other aim? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to clarify. Cool. And then the next section below is exoskeletons like Iron Man. So exoskeletons is a lot of fun, right? So, uh, and typically exoskeletons have multiple functions, right? You have full body uh, exoskeletons. You have upper Missiles. body exoskeletons. Uh, yeah, exos. Uh, so you have upper body exoskeletons, you have low body, and also you have exoskeletons which are fully metallic and have a full structure. You have fabric-based exoskeletons. Uh, you also have exoskeletons which are uh, just monitoring parts of your body, uh, basically motion-based, which are triggering alerts and so on and so forth. Uh, so it just depends on application. In construction, the most prevalent applications where you use exoskeletons is either for uh, doing tasks uh, above your head, or where you're basically drilling or fastening and stuff, or it's for lifting stuff, or when you're pick- bending and picking stuff, or you're doing applications uh, bending down, whether finishing on the floor or drilling on the floor or doing any of that. So I'll pick a few from here and talk about each one. So the one Hilti has built is more a mechanical exoskeleton uh, where you are doing overhead drilling. So it's just an exoskeleton that goes on the top of the body, provides your upper body strength, and helps you do the exos- uh, do the drilling and stuff, right? Uh, does it do a lift or a lock? It does more a lock. It does not, it's, a, it's more mechanical. It's, it doesn't have an energy source, which mm-hmm. is actually providing you power. So it's just uh, augmenting the strength that you have, but not really providing you 
a large lift in terms of uh, support from that side. Understood. On, on the other extreme end is something like seismic. I, I don't know if we put seismic in there, uh, but seismic is a fabric-based exoskeleton. Uh, that is battery powered. That basically sends uh, electricity through the exoskeleton and be, it tracks your body movement. And based on compression of the fabric, it provides you support wherever you need it, whether it's uh, lower back support, whether upper body support. And uh, this is like defense for the US military, de uh, developed for the US military and spun off from there. So they wanted to have a really, really uh, lightweight exoskeleton. And eventually that project I don't think worked out but they found use cases outside of that uh, to deploy. That sounds like magic. It's almost like magic. Uh, the first time I wrote it, I was like, this is, this is amazing. Uh, it's yeah, just, that one. Uh, so, and then there are things like Sutex, right? Sutex is a, almost a full body suit. Uh, and Sar Sarkos is the one which is a full body suit. Sarkos is almost like Iron Man suit. Uh, but Sutex is a small, li more limited version of that, where it's, it's a more of a suit-based uh, exoskeleton, which is supporting you in uh, both uh, lifting and performing tasks and addition to your strength itself. Uh, and there are a couple others which are not mentioned here, like Levitate and so on, uh, which, which also provide specific application-based support for either bending, lifting, uh, mobility, and stuff like that. Uh, so it's a very, uh, this is a segment which is evolving. A lot of these applications don't directly come from construction. They actually start in healthcare. They start, uh, there's exoskeleton for skiing, for example, and they find applications in construction. So we've seen a lot of these start in other industries and then gravitate towards construction. Yeah, and just adding there also the opportunity that gives, uh, because there, there could be accidents in the, in the construction side for people that come uh, from construction and have had any sort of accidents, this sort of exoskeleton can also help them continue with their with their jobs so so uh, this opens up for disabled people opportunities to not having to change industry or this type of of, of yeah of um yeah impacts which of the suits of these companies is the easiest to put on and which is the most difficult to get on uh so hilti is fairly easy to put on uh, that's because it's a very limited kind of uh, system it's just an upper body uh, strength uh, and seismic is also not too difficult to put on, to be very fair. It's not here, we should add that. Uh, Sarkos, I would imagine, is probably the most difficult uh, to put on because it's just a full body suit. I don't know how you get into it and get out of it. I haven't put it on personally, but I mm -hmm. would imagine it takes some time to get into that suit. I think that would be part of the due diligence before an investment. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> For sure. The... Uh... After exoskeleton, that's a cool section. The you have reality capture, which isn't super interesting to me, but maybe you have a couple shining stars in there. Uh, so, Margot, you want to take, to take that? Should I take that? You can take that. So, reality capture as yeah, it's on the edge of uh, basically uh, robotics, right? So, reality capture can be done by humans. It can also be done by robots. The one which is most interesting for me is completely autonomous reality capture. So there's a company called AI for Humanity, which is coming out of JPL Labs uh, in, uh, in LA actually. And that has the ability to work with Spot, with drones and with any other types of robots to autonomously enter unseen areas and the capture 
everything around it. So why this is interesting is it helps you build a digital replica of the job site or a mining site or anything that is entering into. And if you're able to capture it at periodic intervals, then you can monitor progress, uh, you can understand the, how the environment is changing, and coordination becomes so much efficient because you're coordinating based on what is reality than just what's been in the plans and so on and so forth. And that's why the space becomes very interesting, right? And also reality capture can be done at a very basic level in terms of saying you do photogrammetry and get very rough kind of idea of what's happening. You can do it with LIDAR scans, which is very accurate through point clouds and stuff. Uh, so it just depends on what is your use case and what you're trying to solve. All right. I admit it's pretty cool, but I think I get uh, intimidated because robots with, ca I'm supposed to be with the one with the camera, not the robot. So it's, <laughs> you're trying to take my job. It's like right. if there was a section here for automated investments, you guys wouldn't like that so much. Uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't mind it for personal investing when I don't have to worry about my money, but if they come into ventures, yes, that's something I would worry about. Well, is there anything else in reality to capture you want to talk about? Yeah, I think we could. I think we covered we covered it. Great. 3D printing, I cover a ton on my channel. Maybe you guys have some overarching ideas about it. Yeah, no, with 3D printing, I think, so um, basically it's, it's uh, and, and if you know it uh, from your channel better, um, basically you can build either uh, an entire house or some of its components uh, in either in the job site or off uh, site. So, so um, as I was mentioning before, you have some of these startups uh, like Cobots, Icon, uh, Evocons uh, that are uh, for the job sites and like IT, uh, mighty buildings that are in the factories and, and shipping it. So, and, and this technology has uh, had a lot of attention uh, in the last year because it's, it has the potential to build uh, cheaper, quicker, and, and in a more sustainable way um, as you reduce the, the waste of resources um, and you have a controlled environment. Um, also there, uh, it has different different uh, technologies. So you can have a gantry system or you can have a, a robotic arm that provides like different, uh, depending if you want to, to standardize those to say the production or you want so more freedom of, of move, movement. Um, and we see it has a lot of potential. So uh, perhaps also mentioning the, the challenges that we see for this technology uh, in the sense that um, the, the the biggest one would say to finding the right mixture of materials and here you have different solutions some of them looking for for like ordinary concrete or some other looking for more sustainable materials um but uh, as i was saying so depending if if they are on the job site or in factories they can have challenges on on uh, in order to make the layers not too flowable not to not not for them to harden too fast so so there's um there's um, a challenge there um also on the on the logistics side so if uh, let's say they build part of the of the elements of the building in the in the factories and then they have to ship it as we were mentioning it before with the with the cages and with the with the rebar so it's 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 big pieces that need to be shipped so so they, they can be harmed over um, uh, when shipped or that are heavy and, and and big in volume so so that that could be a problem and then also the last one is on about reinforcement, uh, right? So so they were working on on ways not to need the rebar for the um, for um, yeah for for the building, but uh, right now 
rebar it's still done very manually so so i think that they need to overcome or they need to see how to how to aim how to uh, yeah make it work basically yeah i think that's a good analysis uh it's interesting to note it's one of the biggest sections of the of the map it's very crowded and uh, people are trying to differentiate based on all the factors that Marga said, but also unsustainability, right? How they look at new materials that can be sustained, sustainable recycled material and stuff. Because it's crowded now, people are trying to come up with new ways of doing it. So how do, how do what is their edge when they start looking at 3D printing and stuff? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of different companies involved. Uh, crowded isn't really a word I would use to describe construction technologies yet. <laughs> Because they're not really, it's not like they're shoulder to shoulder. They're regionally so far apart. They're rarely competing for jobs in the same area. I agree. Uh, so when we talk in construction, if we have more than one solution in that space, we think it's okay. It's it's, it's more than what we're used sure, to, right? Yeah. Because usually there are no solutions. And in 3D printing, there are many solutions. So we're very happy. Uh, but it's just, it's more than what we would expect. So reality capture, 3D printing, modular are probably the three spaces where you actually have multiple solutions, though they are segmented by either geography or sector and so on and so forth, they have their own niche, uh, but it, at least we, ha we are seeing more than two, three solutions in this space. Well, now we have the drone section. My first question is, are any of these better than DJI? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the short answer is no, uh, because DJI has done a really, really good job in terms of everything that they've done. Uh, but the issue with DJI is now it's banned, right? Uh, for, from a US market perspective, really? you can't really use DJI on a lot of projects. Uh, so any that is great. Uh, yeah, uh, any federal, but even uh, contractors are uh, wary of using DJI on their projects. I got to get a new drone. Uh, yes, I, uh, and that's created an opportunity for a lot of them. And what a lot of these startups have done is they're not just trying to replace DJI, they're trying to be application specific. For example, progress monitoring was one of the application, uh, but if you look at inspection, inspection is where you see a lot of these uh, come into play. So inspection could be bridge inspection, could be facade inspection, uh, could be uh, uh, inspection through infrared or visual inspection, whichever you're trying to do. And these are very manual tasks today. And having drones uh, be able to do that like brings a lot of efficiency into these processes, right? Also, now that you have, there's more capacity for drones, drones are being used for window washing, drones are being used for material transport. So the application set for drones is, has started to expand uh, significantly. So it's not just about the build of the drone, it's also ability of the drone uh, to do different things at this point in time. And that's why we think it's an emerging segment. And the US market has kind of, been invigorated by the DJI ban on, and there was no, DJI was basically throttling any new startups that are coming in. But in the last three years, we've actually seen a lot more startups come into the space. Yeah, there was one company I visited called Terran Robotics that wanted to do Adobe construction with drones. Mm -hmm. They were just starting to do some testing. Uh, so are there any other companies on this list that are doing physical construction instead of LIDAR scans or something like that? So there's one called SkyMo, which is trying to do rebar tying. So mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're also now building a terrestrial robot, but they started off trying to do rebar tying. Similarly, Civ Robotics used to be Civ Drone. 
So they used to do staking using the drones. Uh, by, but the mm-hmm. thing with drones is uh, the stability is a little bit harder. With terrestrial robots, the st- stability is much higher. So we've seen a lot of these drone companies which are doing staking or rebotting and others move to terrestrial robots because it's just easier from a technology perspective to get stability when you're do- using terrestrial robots. Well, in the beginning of the call, you said that you think offsite is very promising for the future. So maybe we save the best section for last and uh, move on to the two things on the right, OPS and maintenance. Yes, let's let, let's uh, let's do that. Uh, Demolition. Uh, so, for, for I'm actually clear- really interested in these things. I would say that they're more important than the layout and the lidar scanning robots because the window cleaning, race, waste recycling, these are jobs that have to happen all the time and they're done by humans usually. So automating them is really a substantial uh, process. Uh, completely. Uh, do you, Mark, do you want to take facade cleaning and I t- take the rest? Yeah, so, so basically their facade uh, cleaning or, or window cleaning in general, especially with skyscraper, it's, it's a very dangerous um, uh, task. And, and as you were saying, it's a task that's going to happen on a repeated basis. Uh, and so having a robot do this task may, makes a, a, a lot of sense. And the technology behind is, is different. So sometimes you have, um, for example, drones, as we were saying, that they, 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 they wash the, the facade. Sometimes we have uh, literally the, the um, not the scaffold, but I don't know, the cages that uh, where a human would be would be using that uh, is, is instead of a human, you have a robot there. Uh, so technology is different, but basically they're trying to solve for the for the safety problem. That sounds pretty important. I imagine there's a lot of uh, unsafe work that happens in window washing. Yeah. So what's the, uh, you mentioned some of them are drones. Yeah. Uh, can you paint a verbal picture of some of the other robots in this sector? So they have two mechanisms. One, they have every building at the top has anchors from which mm-hmm. you have wires which can come down. So they use those wires to basically come down. And then they have two mechanisms. They have suction mechanism and they have uh, force control mechanisms where they have actually propellers which keep them a certain distance uh, from from the surface. And also what they have to adjust for at these high, uh, high elevations, the wind speeds can be quite high. So these propellers uh, also make sure uh, that they are balanced uh, even when they're high wind speeds. So it's multiple mechanisms which create stability uh, for them to be positioned right as they're doing the window cleaning operation. So waste recycling, uh, you could be talking about plastic waste, you could be talking about timber waste, you could be talking about uh, concrete waste and so on. Uh, we'll pick the first two, right? Uh, the, the first one is waste robotics, and this does actually sorting of different kinds of materials uh, to ensure that waste on job sites is collected and sorted and sent because uh, more than 60% of landfill comes from construction waste if we're able to recycle something, then we're not just saving on the cost in, from a recycling perspective, but also avoiding the landfills and so on and so forth. So what uh, waste robotics does is the sorting and then collection of waste from the job sets. The next one, urban machine, is actually even more interesting in the sense that this is used for timber recycling. So what it does, it sends a robot on job sites. It collects the timber uh, and takes this timber and takes out all the metal. 
it actually uses computer vision to identify all the nails and blades and every wow. metal particle which is there and extracts it. Either pulls it out uh, using tweezers uh, or it just cuts off sections where it's difficult to extract and stuff. And then what would typically go into the landfill, they send it to timber re uh, recycling plants. And this is reprocessed uh, and then used. So they're actually making money out of, uh, out of collecting waste. And this is good for the contractor because they're saving money. They don't have to dispose it. Uh, it's mm -hmm. good for uh, the uh, timber manufacturers because this is old, high-quality wood, which they can't find now in different places. And it's good for the startup because they're money, making money out of the process. And it's good for the environment as well. So that's like a super cool kind of startup. And we, this one actually, the GV, uh, Google uh, Ventures, uh, Gradient Ventures, uh, and Lower Carbon actually invested in them recently. Uh, a very cool startup, and if, if you ever come to the Bay Area, you should go visit them. We, uh, we're really excited about them. Yeah, they have a good total addressable market too. Yes, they do. They're a good team, and also a good mix, uh, construction folks as well as uh, uh, technologists who come together to set this company up. And and then very Demolition, cool. uh, I'll go very briefly. Demolition, are these are both large companies, and what they're doing is just going at uh, doing the demolition of large walls and structures and so on, rather than humans and cranes doing it. These are robots who are going and doing these activities. I saw one automated demolition robot that used water jets. Uh, I forget the name of it. Does that ring a bell? Uh, no, I don't think it's either one of these because these are both physical ones. It might have uh, been built robotics. Built doesn't do demolition actually. But, but I could find out. I could find out uh, water can be used for demolition. So what you're saying is uh, completely accurate from how demolition could be done. I just don't know if any of these is using that method. Well, what about you have solar install and maintenance included as well? So, so what solar does is, so there are two startups that are there. They're renovate, what they're doing is they're doing roofing. Uh, so it's more about... Uh, it's having a robot which goes and install the tiles and roof makes roofs and stuff like that. A wow. very early stage robot, and today it's still to be deployed commercially on sites. It's it's a concept, and they're doing pilots and so on and so it's forth. The most deadly trade. I uh, yes, because it, you are standing on roofs, you will fall down eventually. And yeah, it, it, you are standing on roofs and bending down and uh, provide, uh, doing the operation. So definitely something that needs to be automated, but fairly complicated to do because. Uh, of the angles involved, because the weight of the products involved, uh, because of lack of space, because you can't really uh, stand anywhere and do that. You don't have uh, a space for robots to settle down and uh, lay this because you'll have to lay the entire roof and stuff like that. So complicated, but they have an innovative way in terms of having anchor points and installing this and so on. And uh, uh, Soltrex is doing that for solar panels. So solar panel installation uh, is is also cumbersome and time consuming and Soltrex is, is in that space. Very cool. Is there anything else to add? Uh, I, I think there's a lot more happening in this space overall. Even in the solar space, there's cleaning robots, there's leveling robots, there's actually a really cool robot which clears all the vegetation uh, in the space and stuff. We haven't mentioned all of that because this was not exactly construction robots. But there are yeah. lots of peripheral robots that uh, could augment what we have on this list itself. Solar is such a new field. Uh, 
a lot of those jobs are kind of new jobs anyway. And so if they're taken by robots from the start, it's yep. kind of not the same as a robot taking a person's job, which is exactly. uh, what I like to see. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's a, as long as the unemployment rate is low, it's okay to say that, I think. See, yeah. today it's not be a robots taking people's jobs. In construction, there's like 500,000 people that we need, uh, which are short. Yeah, and this, this is widening day by day. So robots are going to be necessary to do construction in the future, not because uh, they're replacing humans, because there are no humans to do the jobs. So it's very important that we have more and more robots on the job site. Yeah, I think at this point, a lot of people realize that even when I post uh, TikToks that get millions of views saying that robots are taking all the people's jobs, there's nobody complaining in the comments section like the robot took my job. I'm not able to work in construction anymore because the robots are here. Uh, it, I've never seen anything like that. No, actually, what uh, so just just want to mention that what we think is that the, their work will will change. So we see a shift in 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 their task being more supervisory and less actually less less um, yeah, yeah less physical intense uh, because of the deployment of robots. So that this is how we see them evolving towards uh, more supervisory or or yeah or um, yeah as I was saying less less physical task. Yeah, I like that a lot. So now we move on to the final section, which offsite production uh, in the beginning, you guys mentioned you think is really promising. Uh, so what's the general overview? So the general overview of offsite robotics is, you see, manufacturing is significantly more efficient than construction today. And that's happened because of a few different things. That's happened because of predictability, uh, that's happened because of repeatability, that's because of structured environments. And if we want to bring construction to the same levels of efficiency, we need to get more in that direction. And prefab has a big part to play uh, in getting us there. And that's why we see adoption of prefab increasing significantly over a period of time in the space. I'm not saying 100% of construction will be prefab. That, that's probably going to be difficult, uh, but the proportion of prefab in construction is going to increase. And that's already starting to happen. That's why you have that list, which is so so many different companies, right? And this will happen in different shapes and forms. So this prefab, which can happen where you are taking components uh, offsite, manufacturing it there and bringing. So that's what, uh, so you'll see factory OS, you'll see prescient, uh, you'll see plant prefab. Uh, a lot of these are trying to do. And they're segmenting themselves by residential, by commercial, or by ADUs, and so for example, Periscope there is trying to do it for ADUs. And it, the way they are optimizing it is they're designing their products in such a way that everything that they build can be flat packed. It can be flat packed, it can be shipped in containers, so you're saving logistics costs because that's the big issue with transportation of 3D printed homes and stuff because of bulkiness, transportation costs can go up. But if you can flat pack it and you can containerize it, then the logistics costs go, go down significantly and if you can still install it very, very quickly, that makes it much more efficient. Then if you look at other models that are or, or automated architecture, which is taking a very different approach, they're building tiny factories. They're building tiny factories close to job sites where robots are actually building cassettes. They're building cassettes which can be installed on job sites. So your job site manufacturing is still much faster and it's still localized. And so you're not actually having to transport at huge distances. So the cost of building houses can be dramatically lower. So 
automated architecture right now is claiming to build houses which could be 25% of the cost of existing buildings there, right? And that dramatically shifts the affordable uh, affordable housing landscape. And that's Wait, who's you... claiming to be 25% cheaper? Uh, automated architecture. They, they're not 25% cheaper, 25% of the cost, 75% cheaper uh, than buildings. Uh, so, and this is a London-based startup. Uh, where... I don't see them on the list of offsite prefab and modular. So, AUAR, R is the automated okay, architecture. Yeah. So th that's that's the one, right? So they are, they're very interesting. Again, early stage, they're still deploying on job sites. So they they aim to build houses within 30,000, 40,000 uh, cost, right? So that would be very interesting if they're actually able to do that. Again, it's single story today, probably two stories over a period of time. So what kind of scale in units? Uh, so their target is to build 10 to 20 this year and then scale oh. it to hundreds and thousands and so on and so forth. But they're still very early in the process. They're still building the first few units right now and piloting it out, right? But the concept Much is- easier that, to say 30, 40,000 at 10 units than at 1,000. I, I agree. And that's why it's still to be proven. A lot of these are still test balloons, which are, are going up, right? And if you look at others like cloud apartments, they're taking a slightly different apartment. They are playing the role of integrators. So they're saying, we will optimize the factory uh, by working with model of players. We will optimize the design and we will optimize the installation and we will be the integrators and be full stack providers in the sense that we'll get the installation done, but we won't own any of the capital behind, right? So that's, a, that's also an interesting approach. So if you look at uh, some of the other periscope I already spoke about, if, if you look at Blockable, Blockable has identified uh, multifamily homes, uh, but smaller multi town homes kind of projects where they could have two-story or three-story buildings and they could uh, stack their uh, blocks together to make sure it's a very efficient kind of setup. Connect that sounds like a Boxable copycat. It's very similar. It's not very different from Boxable. Uh, Connect Homes is another, another one, right? Again, container, containerized shipping, uh, they started with single family homes. They moved to connect shelters to provide shelters to a lot of players uh, because affordable housing in LA was a problem. And now they're coming back to single family and multifamily homes and stuff. So everybody is used to slightly different segments, slightly different model, but objective is the same. How do you manufacture it away from site to avoid the complications of communication, collaboration, and all of that, and still not spend a lot of money in logistics. So it's it's about optimizing both the logistics cost as well as the labor cost on site. Four years ago, I imagine Catera would have been on this list. Yes, Catera would have been the biggest name on this list. Uh, and that what was, would you have said about them back then? I Even back then with Catera, my concern was they were trying to do too much too fast. Uh, and that's probably because SoftBank was pushing them to do a lot of this. They were trying to not just be a modular player, they were trying to be a GC, they're trying to be a sub, they're trying to build everything in-house. And the issues for them were more from an execution perspective on job side than anything else, because the coordination on job side was uh, not up to scratch in a lot of cases. They, they could build products, but they could not deploy the products at the scale they wanted to do. And when you take that kind of money and invest in all, all kinds of stuff, it's construction is not easy to scale early on, right? 
so for them to have the ambitions they had, it is good that they tried to do it, uh, but unfortunately, execution wasn't where it needed to be. Yeah, an interesting thing happens, I guess, at some point where it goes from something innovative and cool to just a tool on the job site. Uh, which of these have evolved to that point where they're really just a tool on the job site and it's not something they're thinking of. This is the innovative R&D. So uh, factory OS and plant prefab are fairly further along. For example, factory OS was supplying to Google for the or for their new facilities and stuff. So they've done this for years. It used to be Blue Home before then. Uh, so they're fairly established. They've identified niche and it's prefab is a part of regular construction process for a lot of companies now. And this is just a small list, right? Prefab is also something companies have in-house now. DPR, for example, has their own prefab facility. A lot of mechanical construction firms have their own prefab facility and stuff. So that's become part of the way they do business. Goldbeck, for example, which is in Europe, has significantly large prefab facilities. And Europe is actually much further along than US when it comes to prefab uh, adoption and especially the Nordics. If you look at the Nordics, 40% of the house are either model or prefab. Uh, they basically- they can only build in one season. Yes, and there are things that drive some of these, right? And if you look at new homes, 80% of them are, are going to be built that way. And it's, the, it's for demand and supply, right? If you have enough reasons for you to do it in a certain manner, then the adoption improves. Yeah, the interesting spectrum in offsite production is the level of automation, in my opinion, which uh, some of things are prefab, but it's just a bunch of people in a warehouse swinging hammers. That's not automated. That's It's I prefab, but it's not automated. So which of these is the most automated, would you say? Uh, I think the most automated is not on this list. That's actually in stealth. Uh, so it's, it's, there's a company on the East Coast, uh, which I'm not supposed to take the name, uh, they are fully automated from a back-end perspective. They actually have end-to-end uh, -end automation when it comes to installation, uh, not just of the panels, uh, how it moves from uh, shop to shop is also fully automated. And there's barely any people in the factory. Uh, they've raised a lot of capital. A lot of that is from the founders, but a lot of it is also bank-raised and stuff. And they should be public in the next three to six months. So that is, that is the most automated I've seen. Off the list here, uh, Wait, which I, company you said you're not supposed to say their name? I guess they're in stealth, and a lot of what they've shared is in confidence. So, I'm not, I've been asked not to, not to talk about that. Uh, that's why uh, I can't mention it. Off the list here, automated architecture is probably going to be the most op automated because of the deployment of robotic arms and everything else that they have. Uh, Connect Homes is starting to become more automated. Uh, of the of the rest. Uh, they're all semi-automated. I don't see There's any a company other. on the East Coast that has a full automated system that's going to IPO in three to six months. Uh, in not, I did, uh, not IPO. They might be public uh, in the sense that they might talk oh, okay. about what they're doing in the next three, six months. Fascinating. And are they targeting residential or commercial? Residential as of now. Residential multifamily. Residential and multifamily. And you think they, I've never heard of this company? You might have heard of them. I, I have no idea. So they're not 
on the internet. They're they're not doing big news stories. They haven't done any media. So let me let they haven't done any media. So wow. they haven't done any media. I'm trying to think of who it might be, but that just eliminated a lot of people. So so there's some companies are pretty good at being stealthy. It's impressive. They do have a website. No, they didn't have like this two months back, but they do have a website, uh, but they don't have much at all on the website. For the level of advancement they have, uh, they don't have any of that on the website. Very interesting. The best construction companies tend to have really crappy websites, but I don't imagine that extends over to construction tech. I, yes, I agree. Anyway, the... Uh... That was a lot of companies we covered. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to go over all of them with me. Now that we've talked about all of them, uh, yeah, what segments do you think are promising? What are the things that are interesting to you? Where do you think maybe some founders could start new? I know you mentioned some things are crowded, but maybe some areas are ripe for innovation. It's, it's a, I would think of it from a workflow perspective in terms of... Like, Robotics is helpful in construction. Anytime you are automating a process which is hard to do, uh, which is probably dangerous, and it, it's probably taking a lot of time from a human uh, timing perspective. It's right. Anything that is very bespoke uh, is difficult to get efficiency from because if you're doing one at a time, uh, then doing it faster than humans uh, is difficult because there's a setup time that you're trying to do. Uh, so. This is where I come to the topics like fastening, topics like finishing, concrete finishing. If someone wants to do that, I think that would be a great application to do because if you're bending down, you're trying to finish the floor, but it's not easy to do. There was a, st a startup called Ryan Robotics, which tried, tried to do this, but the technical difficulties uh, prevented them from scaling. So they shut down at some point in time. But if someone is trying to do concrete uh, finishing, that would be very, very interesting, right? Uh, it's... Uh, similarly, if you look at installation of cable trays, uh, installation, in, uh, installation of heavy uh, stuff on job sites, whether it's cable trays, whether it's drywall, or whether it's uh, facades, any of these tasks, if that can be done in an automated manner, I think that would be very useful. Right? Uh, seamless material movement on job sites would be interesting as well. Uh, the difficulty there is there's so many barriers and such an unstructured environment that doing it cost efficiently is hard. Uh, cost efficiency is going to be very important because people generally don't want to pay too, uh, too much right now because cost of labor is high, but it's not that high uh, that you can uh, that you can deploy very expensive robots on jobs right today. So uh, those are some things that I can think about, but I'm sure there's many others which will come in, come into place once the foundations have been built. Yeah, what do you think, Margarita? What it kind of areas is the tech improving the fastest and... Uh... Yeah, I would say also sometimes we look at the like the different technologies, like understanding that the, as Vivian was saying, cost and advantage. So perhaps it's, it's like from a technological perspective and like a fascinating uh, robot, but then it's too costly and, and perhaps not the best technology for the use case itself. Uh, as we were saying, painting, is it better a drone or is it better like a, a on the ground robot? Like this type of questions are the ones that, that should be asked as well when, when identifying um, 
that 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 robots with the most potential. I would love to see also more robots on the on the demolition, waste management, and, and recycling part of uh, the yeah the, the value chain. So making many of this uh, of this material reused or reusable. Uh, this is where I would also love to see some more some more innovation as, as the startup we were saying about wood, but it could be glass, it could be concrete, so so different types of material that that, that would be that would be good to see as well. Is there anything you've noticed that people you meet in this industry have in common, whether it be the founders or uh, similarities? Uh, resiliency. Construction's hard. Uh, so if you expect a smooth ride, that, that's normally not going to happen. Uh, so people are humble of, about the fact of what adoption means in this industry. If you come with the attitude that I'll break everything and I will conquer the world, uh, that's probably not going to work very well in the industry. It, it, paying respect to the workflow, understanding that change, the fact that change has not happened is not because people don't want change. It's because there are peculiarities about this industry which, which are important to recognize. The people who understand the workflows and then try to implement solutions which improve the workflows without, without disrupting it too much are the ones who will succeed because construction margins are very, very small. So the ability to take risk is not very high. People want to de-risk everything because if one thing goes wrong, then the project is underwater. And that makes life very difficult for them. So the appetite to take risk is not very high. So you have to spend time, learn their language, learn their workflow, and then deploy solutions. And then you have a much higher ability to succeed. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, the uh, developments are impressive and there's more companies jumping in all the time. So I'm sure we'll see a lot of exciting construction technologies in the uh, in the coming years. Uh, is there anything else that you guys are looking for? Is, is Akua, are you guys looking to raise money right now or uh, it's a, plug anything? Uh, so as a fund, we, uh, we have fundraising which goes on. We don't talk about it publicly. Uh, we okay. are always looking to deploy capital as well. So we're always happy to talk to people uh, on any aspect, whether it's, whether it's startups. Oh, yeah, we always welcome more industry, uh, people into the industry. We are very, very excited to have more people come come in or uh, happy to talk to potential investors. So any of that is something we are happy to do. Is there a minimum assets under management to get your attention? Uh, it's all it's all something we can discuss, not something we can talk about publicly. Sure, I'm sure I don't qualify, but yeah, the maybe uh yeah, I'm just asking in case anyone's watching who wants to. Would you help people invest like private placements, or how does anything you can discuss like publicly or? So I can I can talk about conceptually because because yeah, of yeah. SEC guidelines, we're not supposed to solicit investments. Stop in the conceptual realm. In in the conceptual realm, uh, for sure, all of those are potential uh, opportunities. We help people invest with us if they're helping. Uh, if people are interested in startups, we help them think through what needs to be done and how they can do that. Uh, we provide access to startups. Uh, obviously, if they want to invest in the fund, we discuss that as well. Uh, so there are various avenues of interacting, uh, but usually difficult to do with retail investors. 
we do that with people who have an understanding of the industry uh, and we make exceptions as in needed. We work a lot with corporates. For corporates, we obviously spend a lot more time helping them think through their workflows, how we could be innovation partners and so on and so forth. And with specific individuals who, who can add value to the startups that you work with or who can, who we can benefit from their understanding of the space. We always have to do with them also. Very cool. And is there a shining star of your portfolio, maybe a, a best pick investment so far for Zakua? Uh, so there are a few, uh, but one I would want to talk about is a company called Ecoworks. Ecoworks is, was voted as the prop tech of the year in Europe. Uh, this year was actually selected to speak on the panel with Bill Gates and the chairman of IMF just a couple of weeks back. Uh, what they're doing is they're decarbonizing existing buildings. So Germany has a new mandate on reducing the carbon footprint of existing buildings. So they're building a second skin around buildings uh, to, wow. uh, to basically decarbonizing and make them carbon neutral. And what would typically take 18 months uh, in a traditional renovation kind of process, they do in six weeks. And they do it in a minimally invasive manner so that people don't have to relocate and find other homes and stuff like that. And they do it in a modular uh, fashion as well because all of the panels are outsourced and they're just installed. And once they're installed, you can actually track the behavior of the building and insulate uh, the characteristics of emissions and uh, the basically a carbon footprint. Uh, so that that's why it excites us. It's something that's improving the quality of life for people. It's uh, better for the environment and it's also super cost efficient. And they've done really, really well. So uh, their revenue growth has been off the charts. So from when we invested to the bookings that they have, it's almost 50x. Uh, so it's it's wow. phenomenal. The timing's great too. Energy is such an important issue these days. Mm -hmm. uh, and it sounds like they're helping out with that. Yep. Cool. Is there any horrible investments Zakua made that you can talk about? It's a, not yet. Uh, we love oh, all, the, uh, we are only one year in the cycle. And you asked me after, oh, wow. this after two years, uh, I'm sure we'll have some war stories to share with you because we will make mistakes. Uh, but for so, uh, so far, uh, we're very happy with uh, every investment that we made. Yeah, I mean, in the startup world, there's, oh, people always talk about the statistics, like nine out of 10 don't work out. So you never expect them all to be winners. You get one or two really good ones and that's the game, right? That is the game. Uh, uh, but for our founders, we want every one of them to succeed. Because it's it's not just about returns. Yes, we do want best-in-class returns. But it's also about making the world a better place. Because they're all solving real-world problems. It's, it's not another app or not another social media site. These are, they're all trying to solve real-world problems. Yes, they're trying to solve real-world problems. Because if... If they succeed, that's good for everyone. And uh, that's why we, we're really backing them. We really want them to succeed and we want to support them in, in the journey. Yeah, I think it's a very important role the uh, financiers of construction technology play. Uh, it's a noble pursuit of finance. You guys aren't like the short, short sellers and, uh, <laughs> or maybe you secretly are short selling, I don't know. <laughs> no, we are not. You can disclose that. <laughs> yeah, because we're not doing it, we can talk about it. <laughs> yeah, well, it's always fun to talk to optimists about the future of construction technology and uh, hopefully realists 
uh, I think we talked about some pretty realistic stuff today. We weren't talking too much in the realm of speculation. And there's a lot of really interesting companies out there. It's hard to imagine. I mean, some of them have to be pretty successful. Yeah, uh, I'm sure uh, some of them will be successful. And there's a huge demand problem. Everybody always talks about millions of units in almost every country. Uh, there's such a large labor shortage. Uh, labor shortage, housing shortage, uh, and also the carbon emissions and footprints and all of that. Construction is responsible for some of the biggest issues facing humanity. Right? And we have to get our act together. We have to make sure uh, that we are supporting the ecosystem in moving forward. Because as you said, I mentioned crowded from the 3D printed space, but the reality is not it's not enough. It's not even close to being enough. Uh, so we, we still have a lot to do. Yeah, the macro environment's changed quite a bit with rates going up from zero to now we're at, what, like three, almost four or something, I don't know. But the macros changed so much, fundraising seems to have become a lot more difficult. How has that changed the uh, environment for startups? Uh, so for the startups, fundraising is definitely harder today than it was even a year back. And that's the reality. So I won't sugarcoat that. Uh, but everything outside of fundraising is easier. It's easier to hire people. It's easier to get people's attention. Uh, the metrics for evaluating startups has gone. It's not like grow, grow, grow. It's like grow efficiently and build your foundations and stuff. So this is a great time to build good companies. So yes, fundraising is hard. Yeah, that is the pain that you have to uh, take. But if you are able to do that, then this this would be an opportunity to build really good companies. And perhaps I would just um, also add that the fact that it has slowed down also um, is better in terms of due diligence. So so perhaps what was not right was the speed as which uh, previously rounds were were done, and now you're able to. To, to double check everything uh, in more depth and therefore uh, make decisions in a, with more conviction. That seems very healthy to avoid situations like FTX. Agreed. So the slowdown in pace uh, is a good thing. There's certainly some silver linings. The companies would have had to be a little bit prepared though if they just ran out of money now and they really were expecting to do another round bad timing uh, uh do you see that happen happening a lot it's happening a lot uh, so, and the good companies the existing investors will realize that and will bridge them and will extend the runway and stuff like that uh but the companies which have been overvalued and have raised too much the failure rate will increase in this year there will be more failures in 2023 uh, than there were in 2021 for sure uh, because people will start to run out of runway at this point in time. So the, it won't all be pretty in terms of uh, how the market shakes out, uh, but the best companies will find a way to survive. I know the 3D printed construction market was hit by the layoff wave a little bit, which I think was maybe spurred a little by Elon buying Twitter. He did a huge layoff round and every CEO always says they want to be all just like Elon. So they all started doing layoffs and, uh, did you notice that in the other construction tech companies too, or was that just some of the 3D printing companies? It's mostly the 3D printing companies because 3D printing companies were more mature than other construction tech uh, firms. So I would not classify this by segment. I would classify this by stage. The companies mm -hmm. which were doing layoffs were 
series B onwards, series B, C, D, and so on and so forth. So all of them had raised at unrealistic valuations either in 2020 or 2021. Now with the market compressing almost 60% in valuations, uh, for them to grow into those valuations is almost impossible in the next couple of years. And to do that, you have to extend runway, you have to make sure that you're more efficient. So the layoffs have mostly happened in later stage companies, which have raised a lot of money uh, in the peak. And that's where this is coming from. And that's why you also see that in tech and everywhere, everywhere else. That's fascinating. It makes a lot of sense. It's really nice to get your guys' perspective. It's so different from uh, the way that I typically look at things, just like getting it built or whatever. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's what we do. So uh, this is this is a life uh, on evaluating trends, evaluating startups, and thinking through how how the world will look like in the next few years. Yeah, I think the audience will find it super helpful because you provided such a good overview of all the different kind of fields that are being automated at different stages. And uh, it'll be really cool to see. I bet in like one year's time, two years time, the list is going to multiply and develop and grow in really cool ways. That's something that we will be updating the, the market map so we will see how it grows. Yeah, you have an update coming soon, you mentioned. We, we've updated just with some of the of the companies that reach out to us, um, but we want to do this on an annual basis, like then add those that have um, yeah have started in the, in the next year or that have gotten traction and, and, and we we they they deserve to be on the market map. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure there's some we didn't talk about today that uh, deserve to be there, and we'll maybe we'll get them next year. Sounds like a plan. Cool. Well, is there anything else you guys want to cover? Uh, we're good for now. Thanks for having us. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Dart.